Welcome. If you're newer with us, my name is Tim. I get the privilege of teaching on a somewhat regular basis here. We have been in a series of teachings this fall. Uh, we've called it, Who Are You? And we've been looking at issues of identity. Uh, and really, if you kind of look back over the teachings we've done, we've really focused on issues of individual identity. Who are we as individuals? And what, is, what does God say is true? Today is actually the last in the series of teachings. But today I'd like to talk, uh, I'd like to end by talking about... Uh, communal, corporate issues of identity. What is our, 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 the identity of our community, community together? So I'm gonna, we're going to be exploring some of these things together. But to start with, I want to ask a question, just give you a second to reflect on this. Um, thinking about yourself, what are the groups or communities that you most strongly identify with? You can think about it, you can write it down if you're a note taker, but three to five, what are the three to five groups that you most strongly identify with? It could be, could be where you're from, it could be like Seahawks fans, it could be, you know, you are passionate about Nick Cage movies, and you know, it is a small, loyal tribe of people that you got to stick together. So whatever it is, just take a minute, think about the things, that, uh, the groups or communities you strongly identify with. So when I think about when I think about myself, you know, okay, when I, you know, my own, uh, what what are the groups I identify with? Some of the things that come to my mind are uh, my family. Um, I think naturally that's probably one one big one for a lot of us. Uh, I think about uh, our city, Bellingham, New Bellingham flag. Oh, we flew past it. There it is, New Bellingham flag. Uh, our city. I think about uh, yo. That's the flag of Bellingham. You know that? That's kind of it's kind of cool. Uh, mount, people who love the mountains. I love to ski, hike. I feel like that's a community I'm part of. Um, uh, people who love to quote 90s movies. I feel like this is a unique, if anybody knows with that, yes, it's good. Um, uh, but, uh, but we have these groups like we identify with. But um, I believe, and what I want to talk about today, that God invites us is, uh, for, for people who have trusted themselves to Jesus, attached themselves to Jesus, God invites us to see our primary identity, the primary community we are part of, as His multi-ethnic, international, kingdom community, people gathered around Jesus, stretching through time and around the world, the church. He says, this is your primary community. And he wants to speak to us about how we together see ourselves. So we've called the series up to now, Who Are You? Today it is, Who Are Y'all? Right? Who are you, plural? Most of the yous in, in Scripture in the New Testament, they're you plurals anyway. Um, we're always being addressed as a community. Who are we all together? That's what I want to explore with you all this morning. And so to do that, we're going to look at a letter uh, written 2,000 years ago, First Peter. And so if you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can turn to First Peter. It's after James. It's before Second Peter's way to the right. The words will also be on the screen above. We're going to start in chapter 2. And uh, before, we, before I, we open it up, I just want to kind of set the context 
So we're, we're looking this morning at a chunk from a 2,000-year-old letter. This isn't just something that dropped from the sky. This is a letter from a real person to real people. And it's written by a guy named Peter. Peter, uh, was, he, he was a rural fisherman who met Jesus and decided to follow Jesus as, his, as his, his Messiah, as his king. Peter probably was like late teens, early 20s when he met Jesus. And he went from rural fisherman to leader of international radical Jesus movement. And he's at this point, he's writing a letter as this leader in this Jesus movement. And he's writing to um, communities, pockets of Jesus followers around Asia Minor. Asia Minor is what today we call Western Turkey. Uh, but in, in uh, the day that this letter was written, it was a very diverse area, people from all different ethnicities. And throughout Asia Minor, there were these, these, these Jesus communities. That some of them were in rural towns. A lot of them were in major urban centers these major cities, and there'd be people who started trusting Jesus, and they would gather together in these little communities, all first-generation Jesus followers. And, uh, and these, these Jesus communities were incredibly diverse that Peter's writing this letter to. It was a circular letter. It would, go, it'd be, circle, it would be circulated between all these communities. When the, these communities were very diverse, there'd be people from all different ethnicities in these Jesus communities. And, uh, and, and ethnicities that, that uh, would have been you know, in the past at war with one another. And in fact, in this day and age, like your tribe, your ethnicity, that's who you stuck with. But these Jesus communities cut right across that. So you got all these different ethnicities, all different classes. I mean, in the Greco-Roman Empire, you had a very, very small, powerful, wealthy upper class and then this large lower class. But in these Jesus communities, you had people from both classes um, uh, relating as brother, sister. And you had, uh, you, had, you had people who were free in these, in these Jesus communities. You had people who were slaves in the Jesus communities. You had men. You had women. You had the very old. You had the very young. And all of them, first-generation Christians, learning to follow Jesus together as a people. And on top of this, you've got these little, you know, imagine one of these little pockets, maybe, you know, 50 people in a town um, who had nothing to do with each other beforehand, but now they're all one people under Jesus. And on top of this, there's this pressure... There's this growing persecution from the outside on these Jesus communities, on these kingdom communities. Throughout this letter, if you read 1 Peter, it talks about suffering and insults and fiery ordeals. Pressure is growing on these groups. And so we're reading this real letter written by this this leader, Peter, to these real groups, these diverse people trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in this pressure situation. And he's speaking to them about who they really are together. And so I'm going to read it. I'm going to read a big chunk of this letter. And then I want to draw out some implications from it. So let's, let's start in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now, To you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So this is a, this is a letter, a 2,000-year-old letter. Peter, this leader in the Jesus movement, he's writing to these little pockets of Jesus followers throughout Asia Minor, and he's speaking to them about who they really are. And one of the first implications I want to draw out is that Peter is saying to them, he says, you are not just a loose collection of individuals. You are a people. You are a people. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, he says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. The, the image that Peter is giving them, Peter is saying that maybe from maybe formally you, you thought of yourselves as like a loose collection of individuals, just a pile of bricks. Nothing to do with each other. He says, You're not a pile of bricks. Peter says, to, to be attached to Jesus is Jesus is building you together into a house. That you are that there's this, you are a people built together by Jesus. And, and Peter isn't saying this could be true. Peter's saying this is true. You are a people, he says. And then he's very he's very clear about it. Down, skip down to uh, verse 10. Verse 10, he goes uh, straight at it. He says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's talking about these two things, mercy and peoplehood. And, and um, he says, to attach yourself to Jesus, to trust Jesus, means two things. One, it means receiving mercy, forgiveness, grace, being adopted as, as God's child. And two, Peter says, it means being part of a people. Formerly you had just nothing, you know, formerly you didn't have anything in common with one another, but now you are brought together into God's big adopted family, his kingdom community. These two things, mercy and peoplehood. Now, a lot of times, I think in, in, in the North American church, or just kind of uh, what we can hear kind of more broadly, we get this idea, this sense, that Christianity is about the first, but not the second. The idea that being a Christian means you receive forgiveness from God. It means you receive grace from God. But the church is optional. It's kind of an add-on if you want to add, if you want if if that's your thing, you, that you somehow it can it's just about you and Jesus. This this individualistic version of Christianity is biblical faith run through the meat grinder of American individualism. Peter says to this diverse group of people, attaching yourself to Jesus means two things: you've received mercy, and you're part of a people now. You've received mercy and you're part of a people. 
So Peter, Peter says, uh, Peter says, uh, you, 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 uh, in Asia Minor, that you, you know, all these things that formerly divided you now, you are now a people together. And so for us, I think one of the first implications for us is that we, we all, we are not a pile of bricks. We're not a loose association of individuals that just happen to be together. We are a people, a spiritual house that Jesus himself has built. And Peter says, this isn't, this isn't, uh, uh, this isn't something that we can make true. This isn't something that we can work towards. He says, this is real. Believe it. Live into it. So first, implication, we are a people. Second implication, uh, Peter says, he says to these Jesus communities, he says, he says you're a people. And, it, and, uh, and then he says uh, that you are a people centered on the God who has revealed himself in Jesus the Messiah. That, you, that there is, this is not kind of the, the people that you are. It's not just human made. It's not just, it's, it's centered. It only exists because of what God has done in Jesus, his son. And so look at, uh, look at verse five again. It says, verse five, you, uh, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. And it describes Jesus as the cornerstone of this house. So the idea being that this house, this peoplehood, it doesn't exist without the cornerstone. You take the cornerstone out of it and the whole thing falls apart. Jesus is the center of this people. It is the reason this people exists. So Peter reminds me, Jesus is in the center. And then I think he even pushes this further. Skip down to verse 9. He gives these four incredible identity statements over them as a people. He says, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And we could do a whole sermon series just unpacking these four communal identity statements. But what, what I want to mention briefly is that these, this is Exodus language. This is language from Exodus that Peter is applying to these Jesus communities. So a thousand, over a thousand years before Peter wrote this letter, a thousand years before Peter wrote this letter, God had rescued his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. The Israelites and then any Egyptians who wanted to join in, they said, your God's better, and they joined in. So, and then he brought them into the desert, and then he was forming them into his people. That, that these Jesus communities, uh, over a millennia later, are now being part of. So he's forming this people in the Exodus, and in the Exodus, God is very clear about the, the purpose that he's forming this people for. So I just want to read this to you real, real quick. So, um, so this is Exodus language in, in the Peter's letter. I want to read some uh, why God says the purpose for which he was doing the Exodus. So uh, a few of these verses. Uh, Exodus seven sixteen. Let my people go. So that they may worship me in the wilderness. Exodus 8, 1. Let my people go. So that they may worship me. Exodus 8, 20. Let my people go. So that they may worship me. 
9.1, let my people go so that they may worship me. 9.13, let my people go so that they may worship me. 10.3, let my people go so that they may worship me. Are you noticing a pattern here? God says, I'm in the Exodus, he's rescuing a people to be centered on worshiping himself. Now listen to Peter's letter. In verse 9, he says, you are a chosen people. To these Jesus communities, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The purpose he calls this people that they might be centered on worship of him. And if you hear worship and you just think singing or something like that, like we need a bigger vision of worship. This is about, God says, I'm creating a people and they're, they're, it's, not, it's not just about, it's about their, their, their primary love, their central allegiance, their first commitment together is the God who revealed himself in Messiah Jesus. That we praise him. That that is together our first love. We have a center. It says you're a people with a center. We exist because what God did in Jesus the Messiah. My dad, my dad has been on Young Life staff. His whole kind of um, professional life. It's a ministry to high school students, and he does training now, and, and does trainings around the world. And last week, he was doing a training in Nairobi, Kenya. So here, uh, here's dad is, uh, I'll just say he's in the front row. You can guess who my dad is. Um, so he's, uh, he's in Nairobi. They're doing this training for Young Life uh, staff people around the world. And at this training were uh, folks from Liberia, Malawi. Uganda, Zimbabwe, Ethiopia, Kenya, Zanzibar, Cambodia, Philippines, Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan. Just think about those three hanging out together. (laughs) Poland, Colombia, and then my dad representing his roots from rural Ohio. And they would get together. And they would pray. And they would take communion. And they would worship. And this is what God's kingdom looks like. God's kingdom, this multi-ethnic international family called together because of one thing, not common interests, not similar backgrounds, because of one thing, being rescued by Jesus, the Messiah, and that their first allegiance is to him. That is what makes the kingdom community. Who are we? Who are we? We are a people. We are kingdom citizens. We are called together around a center around King Jesus, who gives his life for us. So first implication, we're a people, not a pile of rocks. 
Second implication, we're a people, but we've got a center. We're a people because of what God has done in Jesus the Messiah. Third implication, Peter writes to these these pockets of kingdom communities. And and Peter says to them, he says, you're a people, you're gathered on Jesus, and you have a mission. You have a mission, a calling. Listen to um, to verse 11. He says, dear friends, I urge you. As foreigners and exiles. That language, foreigners and exiles, it implies... Uh, it, it, basically, he, Peter is calling them... Uh, the, the words foreigner and exile is like an immigrant who, who... One of the terms means immigrant who stays for a short time. The other term means immigrant who stays for a long time. But both of these terms, he's calling these Jesus people. He says, you are part of a nation that your neighbors aren't part of. And he's saying that, that you are going to be living in this society and there's going to be neighbors who don't worship the same king as you. And the picture Peter is giving is one that it, it avoids two extremes. One extreme is this kind of re- tribalism, like retreating back where we just go back to our, you know, get away from these people who are different from us and build big walls. Peter says, no, don't do that. But the other extreme is this assimilation. Don't lose your identity, just give your identity up. Don't be a unique people anymore. And Peter is giving this vision of living as foreigners, but engaged in the place that we live. And then he unpacks it further in verse, in verse 12. He's very clear. He says, "Live while you're living here as a unique people, but engaged with your neighbors, live such good lives among the pagans. And that's a, that just, he simply means, you know, people who don't worship Jesus there. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And the vision, the mission, the mission that Peter is charging these little communities, he's saying that you, you together, the way you live with one another, the way you live towards your neighbors in spite of difficulty, in spite of pressure, that it might lead others to to become worshipers of this same Jesus. The way you live, the, the, the good way you live towards one another and the good way you live towards your neighbor, it too might lead them also to become worshipers of Jesus. I've been thinking about what does this mean in light of the political season that we just went through, experienced, survived, withstood? What are the implications of this? I was texting with a friend the other day, and uh, I've just been trying to reach out to different friends around the country and just kind of... Uh, especially in these last week, just checking in on them. And I was texting with him, and, and he, he asked me a question. And he's like, hey, so is your church a Trump church or a Clinton church? And I was like, we're a Jesus church? <laughs> we don't worship a political party or philosophy or political leader. We worship Jesus. That's what brings us together. I said, I said, you know, there, there are people, you know, there, there, in, there are people in our community that voted for Trump. There are people who voted for Clinton. 
There are people who voted for third-party candidates. There are people who were like, la, 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 tell me when it's over, la, la. I said, but we are not together because of some kind of similar political flaw. We are together because we believe we've been rescued by that work of God in his son Jesus and that our ultimate allegiance is to him. And that is what brings us together as a community. And so what does it mean to live out of this? What does it mean to live this out in the time and place that we are at? I've been, I've been encouraged by seeing people in our community, in this room, who've been actively just seeking out people who voted differently than them, who have different experiences with them. And just saying, hey, I want to understand, because our first allegiance is to Jesus, and so I'm not going to break fellowship with you over this, but I just, I want to, I want to build understanding. We have such a divided world right now. Can I just, I want to listen to you. How has this been for you? And talking to people who've been seeking out friends both in, in our community and also around the country, and just saying, I want to listen, because our first allegiance is Jesus, and so I'm not threatened. I, I want to be able to listen to you. That we would be a community that seeks understanding. And as we do that, that bears witness that we live such good lives that others might see. And I think particularly for us, Peter says we need to, that we we live, live good lives and act out good deeds. And I don't think that just means like making sure your recycling is on the curb on time. I believe it means going to where the hurt is going to where the pain is and caring for people. And right now, in our world, one of the places there are hurt and pain is that there are people who feel very scared about what's going on in our country. There's been hate crimes rising up. And thankfully, it doesn't seem like a lot of it's happening in Bellingham, but it's happening in our nation. And there are people that feel alienated and alone and scared. So what does it mean for us to be a people that live out the way of Jesus towards them? To be people who listen, who protect, who care. That people might be drawn to to worship our same king. I believe we have a calling here and now in this season. I've been encouraged By the fact I've been seeing this rise up from us, from God's family. I've been talking to people who are intentionally seeking out those, hey, I'm just, I'm worried they might be feeling alone, so I just want to reach out and get in touch. But, you know, I've got this neighbor who doesn't fall on Jesus, and they're just really anxious. I've just been trying to listen to them. I've been talking to people, yeah, somebody who's hanging out with kids of migrant workers, somebody who's having um, foreign exchange students over for dinner, Just, just people trying to live out such good lives that they might, Draw some more towards Jesus. What does it look like for us to do that in the here and now that we are living at together? On uh, Wednesday night with my small group, we were, we were talking and the, the image that we were using was of being stone catchers. There are a lot of stones flying around our country. What does it look like to be people who catch stones? 
that we catch stones, that the way we relate to one another, the way that we relate to our neighbors, that it's such good lives that people might too turn to worship this same Jesus. Friends, we together, we have an identity, a communal identity. We are a people. We're not a loose collection of individuals. Our primary identity together is as a people and as a people because of Jesus. Because of our being rescued by Him and our serving Him as King. And we have a calling that we might worship Him and we might live such good lives to draw others to worship Him as well. One of the ways that we together center on our King Jesus is by the partaking of communion. And we're going we're gonna to together take communion this morning. And uh, what we're going to do is this. Communion, of course, remembers, it reenacts the, the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus and our being rescued by Him. And for all those who trust in Jesus as King, they're invited to this table. But one of the things as we take communion this morning, I just want to leave us some space this morning to pray together. And there's going to be a few different ways we can pray. Because, they, um, yeah, because, you know, especially when we're talking about where we're at in this political season, there may be things that you're just led to pray. And so the way we're going to do it is this. As we're taking communion, whether before or after you receive communion, there's a few things you could do. One, if you just feel led, there are people groups you just want to pray for or individuals in your life you just want to pray for, I'd invite you just to come forward to the cross and just pray for them. Just take this time and pray on their behalf. Two, if there, there might be somebody in this room that you would, you would say, oh, I just been, you've been on my heart, I want to pray for you. Or maybe you'd like to ask for prayer. You've been stirred up by this season. You just want somebody to pray for you. If you have a friend next to you, it is a normal thing just to say, hey, will you pray for me? I've been really stirred up by all this. And three, we're also going to just have some of our prayer people in back. We'll have a couple pastors and prayer people in back. And if you just, you just, you're stirred up and you just, want, you just want to talk to somebody, you want somebody to pray for you, and you're like, I don't have a friend that I can ask, we'll be back there. We would love to pray for you. We come to the table. This is our center. Our king who gives his life that we could be rescued, that we'd be forgiven. Our king that, that gives his life even for his enemies that they might find forgiveness and new life. Let this be our center. I would invite those who are serving to come forward. We'll have um, two stations up front, three stations in the back. The back center station is the gluten-free station. In a minute, I'll pray. You're welcome to form lines. When you get to the front of the line, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and uh, you can eat before heading back to your seat. And like I said, if you'd like to just kneel by the cross and pray... If you want to grab a neighbor and pray with them or for them, if you, uh, if you, we'll have some prayer people in back. If you'd like to be prayed for, that's an option as well. Um, but this is this is when we act, this, this is when we as individuals we come to Jesus, and as a, as a God's family we come and we say, "This is our center. This isn't something we create. This is true. We simply live into it." So let me pray for us and then we'll come and partake.
Lord Jesus, uh, thank you. Thank you that uh, you are the rescuer. Uh, Thank you that you are here this morning, uh, Jesus, and by your spirit, you're doing your work. Jesus, call out the darkness in our hearts. Uh, Call it out, name it for us, that we could turn from it and turn back to you again. Jesus, mend the broken places. And Jesus, keep this from just being words. Jesus, you, you want to make your word flesh in the real relationships here and now. Um, we believe that. So help us live into what you say is true about us. We pray this all in your strong name. Amen.